Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There is no such thing as Italian cooking. There is no such thing. There's only regional cooking because Italy is composed of 20 regions and every one of those regions cooks what is familiar to them and what is local in that region. So if we were going to go to the Veneto, for instance, in northern Italy, you want to know all about risotto. You want to know about seafood. You want to know about polenta. But if you were down in Sicily, you know, those wouldn't be the products that you would be focusing on. You'd be focusing on lamb, artichokes, the tomato plays a big role in Sicilian cooking. So and that once people come to that understanding, I think, you know, oh, that's why there is no Italian cooking. Welcome to Homemade. I'm Marty Duncan. On this show, I like to discuss the backstory or the history behind a particular recipe. And my guest today has made building recipes around history her life's work. She's a chef, a cookbook author, and for an unbelievable 29 seasons and counting, she's been the host of Chow Italia, the longest running American cooking show, which has aired on PBS since 1989. We're going to make that eggplant and lasagna a la Mariana. And to do it, you really have to start with nice, firm, fresh eggplant like I have here. Now, this is a dish that just sort of came to mind one day when I had a lot of eggplant in the garden, didn't know what to do with. So all I want to do is take off the top, you see that little frondy area, and then I want to make slices out of this. And I'm not even going to take the skin off because to me, that's where a lot of the vitamins and flavor is. Having watched her forever, I sort of feel like Marianne is my Italian aunt who teaches me to cook. Today, she's going to talk about favorite recipes and ingredients, but she's also going to help us plan a trip around Italy and what we absolutely must experience when we go. I'm excited beyond words to welcome the one and only Marianne Esposito to Homemade Today. Thank you for joining me, Marianne. Oh, Marty Chow. I'm your Zia for the hour. Is that how you say aunt, my Zia? Aunt is Zia in Italian, yes. All yeah. right. We say aunt, but uh-huh. where I come from, we say ain't. Ain't. My ain't. <laughs> ain't, yes. My ain't bus. I had an ain't bus, but now I've got a Zia Marianne. Yes, right. right. A Zia Mariana. A Zia Mariana. Well, so was I right? 29 seasons? 29 seasons are in the can. And now we're about to do our 30th season this August. So because of the pandemic, we had a little bit of a stopgap there. Right. and And we couldn't really produce anything. So now we're gearing up to produce our 30th year. So let me get this right. 
You do all those shows in about a two-week period every year? Yes. And just back to back, boom, 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 in the kitchen with your staff, your team. You even have volunteers that come out. I'm raising my hand over here. (laughs) Y'all can't see me, but I'm raising my hand. I want to (laughs) come. I want to learn how to cook Italian food. I want to come be a volunteer in your kitchen. I'm raising my hand. Anytime you want to come, the door is open. So... I am just fascinated with this whole thing. So you do Italian tours, you yep. do the cookbooks, and then you do this television show that you have done really literally for many people's entire lives. <laughs> and I think the beautiful part is that you bring in guests, you're very welcoming, and it feels like you really are in an Italian kitchen. You grow up with grandparents that cooked. Is that how it started in oh, your grandparents' kitchen? Well, it started because I had to live with two grandmothers who didn't speak any English. So when we were indoors, of course, we were in Italy. We were listening to Italian words. They were making Italian food, the gestures, all of that. The minute I walked outside, I was back in America. And so these women, my grandmothers and my mother, they were all in the food business. So they had a tremendous effect on me. But I have to tell you a secret. In my very first cookbook, Ciao Italia, in the introduction, I tell you that if anyone had looked into a crystal ball and told me that I would be teaching people about Italian food on television, I would have choked on two meatballs because <laughs> that, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I can imagine that if you grew up in an environment like that, both, let me just make sure I understand, both your grandmothers were professional cooks. Yes, they were. And for women of that time, that was unusual. My Neapolitan grandmother ran a boarding house. So she was cooking all the time. And I lived in that boarding house. My Sicilian grandmother had a her own meat shop. She was a butcher. And she had her own wow. shop. Yeah, in Fairport, New York. I still have her cleaver, by the way. I tried to get on a plane with this about 30 years ago. I was bringing my grandmother's cleaver back home. She had given it to me. You know, this was way before we had all these rules. Right. And I remember this woman who's going through the, you know, we're going through the check line. And she's, ma'am, you want to step over here for a minute? <laughs> That's happened to me, too, with my mother's cast iron skillet. Yeah. In recent history, they're like, what is this? I'm like, I can't go anywhere without it. And her rolling pin, too. I did the same thing. Yeah. I've read a fascinating story that said your one grandmother that had the boarding house had a bathtub. Yes. And she would let the neighbors and people in the community take a bath and have dinner for 25 cents. That's right. You did your homework. Bravo, oh. Senora Brava. Yes, but I, I want to know everything about you. Yes. And I think that's a, such an important part of your origin, how you started was yes. in that. Yeah. And then you didn't want to eat all of that food that you would make with the grandmothers. You wanted like iceberg lettuce salad and American food. Exactly. When I was going to school, my Neapolitan grandmother, who I lived with, would pack my lunch. Now, she always made coarse bread on Friday. I mean, coarse bread, you know, whole wheat. And when I would go to school on Monday morning, I could hear her in the kitchen getting the wax paper out. And she would fill two slices of this bread with a fried egg. That was my lunch. So the fried egg went between the two slices of bread. You know, and I would gingerly take this thing out of the bag. Well, all my friends were having peanut butter and jelly and flipper nutter right. and all that. And here I am eating this, you know, Italian sandwich. Really, Rachel Ray told me a yeah. very funny, similar story. And hers was a sardine sandwich. And <gasps> they took it away from her because it smelled so bad. Right. So I, yeah. her Italian grandparents <laughs> made her lunch too. her grandfather. Yeah. And yeah. 
He got in a lot of trouble with that sandwich, apparently. So y'all got a lot to talk about. <laughs> you went to college and then you were doing some cooking classes and then decided, yeah. did you do a thesis? I did. Well, I got my master's degree at the university on Italian Renaissance food. So I had to translate this oh, ancient Italian manuscript, which was an old Italian. So it wasn't even, you know, modern Italian, which is the Dante Italian of today, Tuscan Italian. So I would make these outrageous things from the cookbook, from the manuscript, and I'd bring it into my professor to try. I mean, these were God awful things. So buns that were so hard loaded with rosemary and all this stuff. It, just, it was awful. But it gave me a real uh, sense of what people really ate, you know, during the Renaissance. And most of it was not very good. But yes, I did my thesis on that. And then when I graduated, I decided that I wanted to go to Italy because I was reading a magazine that was called Medical Economics, and it belonged to my husband, who's a physician. There was an ad, and the ad said, write us a story that's non-medical, and if we like it, we're going to give you a prize, 250 bucks. So I decided, I'll write the story and put his name on it. And the story was about going to Sorrento with my husband, Guy, and being in a cooking school in Sorrento. And he was the only man. So I titled this article, I traded my scalpel for a spatula. And so I wrote this story about how he was the only man in the cooking school and what that meant and you know, how he was uncomfortable, blah, blah, all that stuff. Well, lo and behold, about a month later, I get a letter that says you won. You won. Oh, how wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And, and the picture on the cover of the magazine showed a physician ready for the operating room with two forks over a chicken. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. And and so really, that was how it started? Well, yes, because when I came home, I realized that what the chef had taught me in Sorrento, I already knew because I had these two grandmothers. I knew all this stuff he was doing. And I thought, hey, maybe I could do this. And actually, it was my husband who encouraged me. He says, you know what? Why don't you write a proposal for the university? Tell them you'll do X number of shows on Italian food, blah, blah, blah. But what you have to understand is that I live in New Hampshire, and it is not easy to find an Italian. I think at the time, I was the only one. So <laughs> when you go to put a proposal out and you're talking about foods that they've never heard of, Parmigiano, Reggiano cheese, also buco, balsamic vinegar. You get that blank stare, you know, uh, ma'am. Okay. Uh, nice, nice, nice to see you. Thank you. We'll, we'll be in touch. And that was the end of that until about a year later when they resurrected my proposal and they had moved into a new TV station. They were looking for programs and they called me. And they would said, would you do a pilot program for us? And I said, sure. So they came to my house. Well, that was a nightmare. A 26-minute program took from 8 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock oh, yeah. that night. Yeah. I said, this is too mental. It's too physical. I don't want to do this. And 29 seasons later, <laughs> you obviously must love it. A thousand episodes or something. Okay. Yeah. What was the very first thing you did for that pilot? What did you cook? I made what was called an Italian picnic, uh, you know, uh, il cibo fresco, fresh food. So I made muffaletta, right. which Sicilians brought really to Louisiana. So in New Orleans, or, or one cluster. of my favorite things in yeah. the world. I love so it. I made that. I made that layered sandwich with the salad and all of that. I forget what we had for dessert. I think it was some, some sort of a tart. Okay. What is your number one recipe? You're one that people still talk about. Yeah. All those episodes. Which one is oh, that? Eggplant meatballs. 
Really? Mm-hmm. Eggplant meatballs are very popular in Southern Italy. And you would do exactly what you would do. The ingredients would be the same as if you were using meat, but you're using eggplant instead. Right. And believe me, once you make these, you know, you're using cheese and garlic and, and onions and breadcrumbs, but you're using eggplant, cooked eggplant. Right. You would never know that this is eggplant and then you cook them in the sauce. And yeah, that so is you our number ro- one. You roast the eggplant in the oven first? You cook the eggplant first, yes. And then you take it all out of the yeah. peel? And then and you-, you can find that recipe on the Chow Italia website. It's okay. there. Yeah, you got yeah. lots of recipes. Lots of recipes. 1,300. Lots. Yeah. 1300. Lots and lots and lots of all kinds. There are a lot of recipes. So that's your number one yeah. most requested recipe from your website, from your shows, yeah. from anything. What's your family favorite? What does your family say? You got to make this one. Well, you know, my family's very spoiled because they only know scratch cooking. They don't, they, you know, they don't know cooking from a can or anything like that. But their favorite is capoletti. So, you know, I have to make them capoletti, which is a small uh, round of pasta dough that's stuffed with cheese and with um, a meat filling. It can be veal. It can be chicken. Finely, finely ground. And it's served in a broth. A chicken broth. You usually have it at holiday time, but I make it all the time. You make fresh pasta and then you cut round circles and you can find this recipe on the Chow Italia website. And then you're making a very fine meat mixture. In different parts of Italy, they use different things. Some places use veal and breadcrumbs. Some places will use mortadella, which mortadella, is a yeah. mortadella, you know, really finely, finely ground. Some people use sausage. Some people use chicken and lemon to flavor the meat. So it just depends. You know, I said this on my very first show. There is no such thing as Italian cooking. There is no such thing. There's only regional cooking because Italy is composed of 20 regions and every one of those regions cooks what is familiar to them and what is local in that region. Right. So, yeah. So and that once people come to that understanding, I think, you know, oh, that's why there is no Italian cooking. I've only been to Italy once and I was there for a wedding only for three days. Uh, it's on my bucket list to go back and spend yeah. a lot of time. So you take people, you yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Every year. Every year you do a tour and do you yeah. just decide different places to go? Or yeah. what do you do? Every, well, I've done this travel with people for the last 18 years. And what I do is I take a group of people, not more than 20, to a different region of Italy each year. Now, this year we had to cancel three trips to Italy because of, you know, the pandemic. Right. But they they all rescheduled for for next year. So every year uh, when I take a group, it's I take them to a different region because I want them to experience the food of that region. So if we were going to go to the Veneto, for instance, in northern Italy, you want to know all about risotto. You want to know about seafood. You want to know about polenta. You want to know uh, about uh, radicchio. These are the products, key products that come from the Veneto. But if you were down in Sicily, you know, those wouldn't be the products that you would be focusing on. You'd be focusing on things like, again, fish, because, of course, Sicily uh, is an island, but lots of lamb, artichokes, the tomato plays a big role in Sicilian cooking, different types of pastas. It gives people a real clear picture of, okay, I get it. You wouldn't eat this here and you wouldn't eat that here. It's like Alabama. What is the most famous dessert in Alabama? Yeah, it does matter where you are. And what you and kind of what you grew up with. But let me ask you this. So is pasta 
prevalent in all the different regions. Yes. But but they're just different pastas. And that would explain why when you go to a restaurant or you go to the grocery store, there's 50 million different ones. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Pasta could be considered Italy's national dish. Let, let's okay. put it that way. Could it's be my cons- national dish. Yeah, right. <laughs> I will eat it every single solitary day. I love pasta. Yes. It's my favorite thing. But it's how it's treated in these different regions that makes the difference. For instance, in the Piedmont, they make something called agnolotti al plin. It's dialect. P-L-I-N. Plin means pinch in dialect. And agnolotti are very tiny postage stamp size pastas that are filled with veal, lemon zest, and they're served in a very light sauce. That's agnolotti al plin. But you wouldn't have that if you were in Sicily. You would be eating something entirely different. You'd be eating pasta con sarde, which means, this is Rachel Ray's favorite thing, pasta with sardines because that's what you're gonna find uh, in Sicily. If you were in Rome, you'd be having amatrice or you'd be having carbonara. Those are classic pasta dishes of Rome. So yes, there's pasta everywhere, but it's the way it's treated and the customs. Seasonally and local. Yes. Okay, so you said carbonara, which I love and I got, but the one before that, I don't think I know. Amatrice. Yeah, Amatriciana from Amatrice. Amatrice is a town around Rome, and there they make something called Amatriciana, which is pasta with tomatoes and onions and olive oil. That just sounds amazing. So if I want to start my itinerary for my bucket list Italy trip, will we start in Rome since Rome was the center of the universe at one time? Is that where we should go first? Well, that makes sense if you've never been to Italy. You know, start in Rome because you were taught about ancient Rome in school. I mean, that's that's where a jumping off point is for you. But I would say that the place to really begin is Sicily because Sicily holds the key to the rest of Italy. When you think about where Sicily is located at the toe, It's surrounded by water. It was the perfect vehicle for foreign invasions from everywhere. So, you know, you had the Phoenicians, you had the Greeks, you had the Normans, you had the Spanish. They were all there. And that's why there is no Sicilian cuisine per se. Sicilian cooking is a mixture of all of these cultures who bombarded that island with their presence over the centuries. But Sicily was the breadbasket of Italy. It was where the Roman armies got the wheat to sustain them as they marched through all of the rest of Italy. At one time, Sicily was very lush with the forests. It had forests. Now it's extremely arid because, of course, over the centuries, all that slash and burn happened and the wheat fields were destroyed. But it was considered the breadbasket of Italy because of the wheat that was grown there that could be made into like a flat, coarse bread or even some sort of a pasta, which would not be recognizable to us today as the pasta that we know. So I would start in Sicily. A lot of people want to do cooking classes when they go to Italy. 
I think that's just because we've read about it and romanticized it in television shows and movies. Would you say that's a great thing to do or should we just kind of go and soak it up and eat at all the different restaurants and kind of learn from that? Well, I think there's advantages to both. If you were to go to a cooking school, you would be exposed to the local ingredients and it would be a how-to experience. So in other words, there you are with truffles from Umbria. You're in Umbria, you've got black truffles in front of you. Now you get to look at these truffles, you get to smell them, you get to know how to prepare them. That's a lot different than going to a restaurant and ordering a plate of pasta that has truffles shaved over it. This is one of the tenets of my show, is to build the recipe around history, to talk about truffles, tartuffi, but what about them? What are they? And where do they come from? And why do they use dogs? Didn't they use pigs at one time? Yeah, they did, but not anymore because the pigs would eat the truffles. So that was a problem, you know, and and then how, how would you, how do you work with truffles? Yeah, I want to wrestle a truffle away from a pig. I don't right. think yeah. so. No, no thanks. <laughs> You're listening to Homemade. Stay tuned as Marianne tells me about her all-time favorite ingredient and talks about the unofficial four evangelists of regional Italian cooking. We'll be right back after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Homemade. I'm Marty Duncan. My guest this week is the host of Chow Italia on PBS, Marianne Esposito. What's your favorite Italian ingredient? Like one thing that you just couldn't live without? Parmigiano Reggiano. Of course, of course. <laughs> I used to have big fights with my daddy about this. And he would say, I'm just going to get this stuff with a green box. I'm like, daddy. <gasps> oh, horrors. So I put the real Parmigiano on his food and I'm like, okay. Take a bite of this one. Take a bite of that one. You just tell me. He went, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah, wow. It's creamy. It's Mm -hmm. a meltiness to it. It's nutty. Mm -hmm. And he would even drive into town to get to the Whole Foods to get that Parmigiano after that. He's like, oh, no, I need cheese. Yeah. So it's your favorite ingredient. It, it is it's one of my favorite ingredients. Yes. And a few years ago, oh, gosh, I, several times now, I've taken people to the Casaficho in uh, in uh, the 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 uh, cheese house the cheese houses of Italy it, yeah in Parma in around Parma so that they could see how this cheese is made and why it's considered the king of cheeses but you're absolutely right you know I cringe when I see people buying stuff that's it that truly is fake truly is fake. cellulose it, it has cellulose in it some of it wood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of them do. Yeah. And they're well, missing, I mean, the whole point, I mean, here they are, they're preparing this nice pasta dish and then they're going to put sawdust on it. I mean, ridiculous. It was just, 
It's true though. And we, yeah. but I think starting out, a lot of us were guilty of that because we didn't know any better. It's yeah. what we grew up with. Mm-hmm. But now we know better. We ought to do better, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I want you to help me because I only know one way to do it. Okay. But artichokes. I know mm-hmm. they're a big staple in all Italian cooking. Yes. All I know how to do is boil one and then mm-hmm. pull the leaves off and eat it. But what are some other things I could do with artichokes? Oh my goodness. There's so many things you can do with artichokes. First of all, people are afraid to deal with artichokes because they look at this thing and they go, oh my God, it's a weapon, you know, and, 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 and they throw half of it away because they think they only supposed to eat the the, uh, the heart, which is in the center. Right. So cleaning an artichoke is a little bit of work. I give you that, but you can stuff them. One of the classic ways to stuff them is with Parmigiano, Reggiano cheese, grated cheese, breadcrumbs, parsley, garlic different kind of spices, and then they're baked in the oven with a little bit of white wine in the bottom of the pan. Absolutely fantastic. In Rome, you really want to go to this restaurant called Il Piperno. Il Piperno. Il Piperno. This is a Jewish restaurant, and they really know how to do artichokes because they introduced the cooking of artichokes to a lot of Roman cooking. So what they do with them is that they fry the whole artichoke. It's really amazing. Take the whole artichoke and they put it in a vat of uh, seed oil and they fry it and it opens like a flower. So then you salt it and you eat, eat it like potato chips. You know, it's it's just fantastic. I'm doing that. Yeah. So you want to take the choke out first though. So Okay. I've taught people, you can stuff them. I've stuffed them with grains like farro, cut them in half and and put sausage in them, farro or or wild rice. There's so many ways to do them. But one of the things I tell people is, okay, you don't want to deal with with taking out that, that choke. It's a pain. So here's what you do. First of all, don't get rid of the stem. Peel the stem with your vegetable peeler because the stem is edible. Delicious too. Yeah, people throw that away. Okay, take that off. Uh, take use a vegetable peeler and just kind of take the uh, the outer uh, skin off. Then you take a scissors and you just go around the whole artichoke and you take off those little pinchers. You know those little the tips. Yeah, Yeah. just take those all off. Then they take they have stickers on them. Right, and they can give you a little you know poke in your finger. Then you want to take off the first bottom layer of the leaves and you can get disc- discard those. Then you want to cut down from the top of the artichoke about a quarter of an inch down with a sharp knife cut straight down. All right, now you're ready. You got a pan of boiling water ready. You put the whole artichoke in. I usually add lemon with this, you know, because artichokes do turn grayish after a while. Right. So I add lemon and I let them cook until I can pull a leaf off. When I can pull a leaf off, I know they're tender. Take them out. They're still whole. I let them cool. Then I take a sharp knife and I go right down the center. Open them up two halves. Now you can see the choke. It's so easy. Just take a spoon and it's very easy to come out. There's no struggling, no things flying all over the kitchen. It just comes right out. And then you can enjoy it either with melted butter or you can make a cream sauce for it. But that just all sounds so good. Yeah. I love artichokes. Carchoffi. That's how you say artichoke. Carchoffi. Carchoffi. Carchoffi, yeah. Ah, wonderful. So after we've been in Rome and experienced all the culture of Rome, where would we go next? And what would we eat when we got there? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, this is a hard, hard thing. You would go to northern Italy, obviously. So you, you, you could go to the Veneto. 
everyone loves Venice and wants to go to Venice. So go to the I Veneto. I want to go. All right. So you go to the region of the Veneto. Venice is in the region of the Veneto. So Venezia, Venezia is Venice. So what are you going to eat when you're in Venice? Well, you're going to eat a lot of seafood, a lot of fish, because Venice is built on a lagoon. It's, it's just all water and a, something holding up those pilings underneath those buildings. And then you, you're going to have risotto, because risotto is a classic dish of the Veneto, which is rice, a certain kind of rice, like an arborio rice or a carnaloni or a vialona nanno rice. So these are rices that have lots of starch. They're short grain rices. And you're adding liquid to them slowly so they become very, very creamy. You don't want rice that's like a, a sticky lump that you can't get off a spoon. So the Venetians have a, a saying for that. They say that, you know, when you're making risotto, it should be alonda. Alonda means it should be on the wave. In other words, it flows. You know, it's not, it flows off the spoon. So, in, and many things are mixed with uh, a risotto. Risi e bisi. Risi e bisi is a spring dish in the Veneto, which translates to rice and peas when spring okay. peas are in. I love uh, spring peas. Yeah. So Risi Abisi. Yes. Polenta is another big food of the Veneto. Lots of vegetables, which a lot of them have to be trucked in from other places around the lagoon. Bitter greens like radicchio. If you go to, there's a town called Treviso. And Treviso is the capital of where they grow radicchio. You know, the red veins. Right. I love radicchio. Yeah, radicchio. And in Treviso, they grow several types. They grow the elongated one, very pretty. And then they grow the round one. And then they grow a speckled one that's a little lighter colored leaf. And this is a vegetable that's used to make marmalade. It's put on the grill. It is put in salads, obviously. In fact, in Treviso, they eat just the radicchio. They don't mix it with other greens. They use the radicchio as the whole salad. So I was thinking about this the other day. I had my first Aperol spritz of the season. Oh, Oh, you can tell us, Marty. You had more than one. Well, when I had my first one, I said first. right. Because I definitely have more than one. But when I had my very first one of the season, I was thinking about the fact that there are some things in Italian cooking that are bitter. And radicchio Mm -hmm. is certainly one of them. It's one of them, yeah. But it's extremely prevalent throughout Italian cooking to have some sort of a bitter element. Yes. Yes. I don't find that in a lot of other cooking no. So radicchio belongs to the chicory family. So, and along with radicchio would be something like escarol. Right, Escarol is, is another bitter green that's very popular and it's often stuffed. They'll take whole heads of Escarol and then they'll make a, uh, a filling of uh, raisins, breadcrumbs, pine nuts, spices, and they'll fill the center of the Escarol. Then they'll tie it up, you know, they'll t- tie the bundle, bundle up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they will braise it in some sort of a broth, like a chicken broth. Sort of like a cabbage roll. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like a little bit like that, doesn't it? So, yes. So bitter greens are very important in Italian cooking. In fact, you know, Italians don't, I mean, they do have iceberg lettuces, that kind of thing, but their salads are are mainly on the bitter side. Listen, are, are there things you're learning after a thousand episodes and all these trips to Italy? Are you still learning? 
absolutely. There is, there's no end to learning about Italian regional food because, first of all, the history of Italy is so encompassing. And because everything was so localized, the array of different foods and how to prepare them is just kind of mind-boggling. I often tell people that if you were walking through the streets, let's say, of Naples, and you wanted to know how to make a tomato sauce, and you knocked on what's every door on the street, every one of these answers would be different. Oh no, here's how you do it. You use whole garlic. No, you use minced garlic. No, you don't put wine in the sauce. Oh, you only have to use San Marzano tomatoes. That's the beauty of Italian regional cooking is that there is no formula. It's not like French cooking, for instance, where if you ask somebody, how do you make a cream sauce? There's a formula for that. Right. And everybody would say, this is how you do it. And it would be the exact thing that person down the street said. But for Italian food, it's all up to the individual. But does a lot of it start with a sofrito? Like French cooking one, maybe start with a mirepoix. Does sure. it start with a sofrito? Yes, it does. And Those, what, what is that? I mean, like we have the Trinity in the South. We have the, the Trinity of cooking. So for the sofrito, it is, what is it? Well, it's called the four evangelists of Italian cooking. So okay. you, have, you have the Trinity, we have the four evangelists. So it, it's it's garlic, it's a parsley, it's onions, and it's carrots. Okay. So, so then that becomes your sofrito. And you start a lot of recipes with Oh, that. sure. I mean, ragu sauces start that way. Yeah, yeah. Now, for a, like a ragu sauce, like so many of us know ragu because of the jarred sauce, but that's uh-huh. actually a type of tomato sauce, a specific kind, right? Uh-huh. A ragu sauce is a meat-based sauce that takes time to cook, and it takes time slowly to cook. So for instance, if you were going to make a bolognese ragu, it's going to be very different than a ragu from someplace else. So for a bolognese ragu, you've got to start with ground beef, ground pork, ground veal. You've got to cook these meats in a sofrito very, very slowly. And then you add your other ingredients. But what people don't realize is that a bolognese ragu is not loaded with tomatoes. There's very little tomato in a bolognese ragu. Just look up how you make a lasagna alla bolognese. On one of my shows one year, we made the lasagna verde alla bolognese. So lasagna verde are green noodles made with spinach. Uh, and I actually took people to cooking school in Italy and I made them do this. Now, this, this is, I, w- I don't want to say it's a complicated thing to do, but it takes time. A lot of steps. A lot of steps. You got to make okay. the pasta. You got to make the ragu. Then you got to cut the pasta sheets. Then you got to boil them. Then you got to cool them down in ice water. Then you got to dry them. Then you got to make a, a, a bechamel sauce as well as the ragu. And then you got to do these layers, but it's worth it because in the end, it's absolutely, it's ethereal. I mean, you it's not like eating a lasagna that you think is lasagna that's thick noodles and it just sits in your stomach you know, the rest of the day. This, you don't even know you've eaten this. It's so light. It's wonderful. But then there are people who, you know, they'll make ragus and, you know, they've got, they got a lot of tomatoes in it and they different, they're putting whole chunks of meat, maybe short ribs, spare ribs. They call it Sunday sauce, you know, Sunday sauce. Right. Yes, I do. 
where you brown all these meats on the bone and then you put in the tomatoes and then you go to church. That's why it's called Sunday sauce. Cause when you come home, it's done. It's ready. Yeah. <laughs> My mom would do a pot roast like that. Yeah. I am going to have to go to an Italian restaurant when I leave here <laughs> okay. because I'm starving. This all sounds so good. So can we roll around to desserts? Because Ooh, Italian sure. desserts are some of the best desserts oh. in the world. Yeah. What makes Italian ice cream so darn awesome. What is it? Is it the way they make it? Is it the type of milk? What is it? Well, it's, it's all of that, but it's not called ice cream. It's called gelato. Gelato. Yes. There's there's a difference between ice cream and gelato. Gelato is very creamy. It doesn't have any eggs in it. It doesn't have a lot of air whipped into it, which commercial ice cream does. It's got intense flavor. When you look at true gelato, of course, the best place to have this is in Sicily because they were the ones who really perfected the art of making gelato because the Arabs, who were very influential in Sicily, brought sugarcane to Sicily. And what they did was they started first making a type of an ice, a sorbetto. In other words, they would take fruit juices, you know, maybe pomegranates, prickly pear, whatever there was, oranges, lemons. These are all big, big products in Sicily. And they would use the ice and the sugar, the ice they found in the mountain caves, and they would use sugar and they would make this kind of like a sorbetto. But then that evolved and it became gelato. So When you are in Italy, you can tell the difference immediately. Number one, when you are walking around, you'll see lots of gelato places and and it'll say produzione artigianale. Produzione artigianale means an artisan produced product. So in other words, small batch making, it's, it's locally produced. When you look at gelato, it has almost like a shoe shine look to it. It's very shiny. It's creamy. I think one of the worst jobs to have in the summer is scooping ice cream because you got to dig down into these big tubs and bring it up and put it on a cone. Gelato is like a sweet, you know, you just, it's soft. It's, oh, and the best, as I say, is in Sicily. That does it for me. That's where I'm starting. Yeah. You just convinced me. Okay. I'm starting Sicily. You had already sort of semi-convinced me. When you said that's where the gelato is, that's where I'm going. Well, I'm you got to go there for the cannoli, too. That's a great dessert. Yes, it is. That's another one of my favorite Italian yeah. desserts. When I used to travel to New York for my work a lot, we would make a trip down into Little Italy just to go for the cannoli because that was not something we had anywhere near I grew up. Nowhere. So cannoli, the outer crust, it's a cookie, essentially, well, right? No, it's more of a pastry dough. So you you want to use like a cup of flour, a tablespoon of sugar, a tablespoon of butter, a wee bit of salt and a dash of either white wine or marsala. Now you've made a dough, like a pie crust dough. Right. It's got wine in it. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then you roll it out and you wrap it around these forms, cannoli forms. Right. And then, and then you have to fry this in uh, seed oil. Now, cannolis in Italy are very different than what you find here. Here, the shells are thick. In Italy, when you eat a cannoli, it should shatter down the front of you. That's how thin the <laughs> shell is. Right. It should just shatter down the front of you. It's never stuffed with cream or Cool Whip or pudding. The classic filling for a Sicilian cannoli is sheep's milk ricotta cheese, which has a little sugar in it. It has some citron, maybe some pine nuts, some chocolate. 
And that is filled at the very, very moment that you request a cannoli. So you never would pre-fill these. So, you know, you go in these pastry shops, you see this all lined. Oh, my goodness. They get a little soggy. Yeah. Yeah, all lined up. But if you want to learn how to make cannoli, you can go on our website and find that recipe that I just told you about, where the shells are, are paper thin, paper thin. They should never be thick, thick like that. In fact, about four years ago, I took people to a place where they do make cannoli. It was a cheese farm and the sheep's milk ricotta. This is the leftover uh, product from making cheese, obviously, from making pecorino cheese, which is the classic cheese of Sicily. So from the whey, which is the leftover liquid, you add some rennet and you cook that again and you get, you know, the sheep's milk ricotta. So it clots, it clots because of the rennet. You can either eat it fresh or you can salt it. And you can eat it when it's a little bit firmer. But that is the classic cheese for a I didn't know that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I think in America, we think it's like mascarpone or something like that. No. Oh, no. No, no, no. Not in Sicily. We're about to be out of time, but I oh, do want to no. ask you. Okay. I know. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> um, Tuscany is another location that people talk about a lot that we didn't touch on, as is the Amalfi Coast. We see it in movies, you know, under the Tuscan sun or and so tell me about those two areas, either one. You have of them. never been to Tuscany? Okay. No. Well, I'm very fond of Tuscany because it's the home of Dante. And I'm a student of Dante, so I love anything about Tuscany. But here is a cuisine that is, is very simple. They say that, you know, if you're in Tuscany, you've got to be a bean eater. They call they call the people of Tuscany mangia fagioli bean eaters. Really? Yes. Manja fagioli. So there you would be eating very simple foods like beans. You would be eating wild boar, classic for Tuscany, wild boar done, you know, in, in a wine sauce, you know, braised very, very slowly. We go to the Bonfi estate in Montalcino, which is wonderful. You'll find a lot of wine-based dishes. In fact, I was working with a guy in Tuscany once and he made pasta umbriaca. And I said, wow. So he cooked the pasta in wine. Wow. Yeah, he cooked it in, in, in red wine. And I thought, oh, this is going to be awful. But it was actually delicious. It colored the uh, pasta beautifully. Kind of, yeah, pink it, or something, maybe. It, 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 yeah, it was it was very nice. They do a lot of grilled meats in Tuscany. The perfect restaurant meal would be a bistecca alla Fiorentina, a porterhouse steak that you have to eat rare. If you ask for it well done, they look at you like you're crazy. So it's just warmed on the grill. And then it's served with extra virgin olive oil, salt, pepper, and on top, a little cuff of arugula leaves, which is an herb. So those are classic Tuscan dishes. In the Amalfi, which is in Campania, the region uh, of Campania, Sorrento, for instance, which is a very beautiful city, you want to eat gnocchi there. Gnocchi alla Sorrentina is a classic dish from Sorrento. Anything with lemons. How about your insalata caprese? That comes from Capri, which is an island off of the Amalfi Coast. So an insalata caprese, octopus salad is very, very popular. All kinds of limoncello-based dishes because the lemon there is like outstanding, big as grapefruits. There are so many dishes we could talk about in the uh, Amalfi Coast. Okay, so here's my last question for you. If you could wake up with one view of Italy forever, just one, which one would it be? One view of Italy. When you wake up and you look out the window, which one of the areas or views or places would sing to your heart? The city of Gubbio in Umbria, 
which is a medieval city. And every year they do what's called the race of the candles. I, and they're all in costume. I love it. I love the old time feel of it, the narrow streets. The people are very friendly. You can go online and watch the race really? of the candles on our website. That was my very, very favorite episode. And it's probably one of my very, very places to be. The ancient city of Gubbio in Umbria. In Umbria. Okay, yeah. I want to do that. That is the one I, I want to do. I'm going to be this, after you to go to Italy. I'm yeah. coming. You don't have to be after me. <laughs> You're going to have to try to get rid of me. I can promise okay. you. I can't wait. I, I feel like I've taken a little trip today and just gotten my feet wet. But now I can't wait to go back and dive in and learn all about these ingredients, the history, where they came from and how they've been used over time and how they're using them today. And I, I'm just so fascinated. Marianne Esposito, you are a national treasure, not just for Italy, but for America, because you've brought Italy to all of us. We didn't grow up with an Italian grandmother or two Italian grandmothers who cooked for us. So thank you for being that for all of America for all these years. We have loved every <laughs> minute of it. Me personally, I promise you, I won't be sitting by you on that plane. I can't I wait. Know. I'm okay. going. All right. All right. Thank you again. Ciao, ciao. 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 You can watch Marianne Esposito on Ciao Italia, America's longest running cooking show on your local PBS station. Her most recent book is called Ciao Italia, My Lifelong Food Adventures in Italy. And be sure to visit ciaoitalia.com for recipes and much more. Next time on Homemade, I've selected some of my very favorite tips and quips from previous episodes of Homemade. Hear from Gaffietti, Carla Hall, Justin Warner, Dory Greenspan, Duff Goldman, and so many others who offer their best advice to all of us who aspire to become better cooks. I think cooking more than anything is timing. Timing is the key. When do you flip? When do you stir? How much time do you let that pan get hot? All these kind of factors of timing. So please don't be so hard on yourself. Realize that not the first time that any great musician picked up a guitar and started to play a song, did it go to an album, okay? Right. So cooking is timing, training, development, growth. I mean, there's just so many facets to it, but don't be so hard on yourself. People are like so devastated. I suck at Listen, Marty will tell you, I'll tell you that time and persistence, get back after it, try it again. Be sure to follow Homemade on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And please, I'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham, edited in Atlanta, and produced by All Recipes with digital content director Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Matt Sab, Danielle Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croft, and Andy Bosnack. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade.